You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church. We're located in the Ballston neighborhood of Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us on the web at cumcballston dot o-r-g. There you can learn more about our congregation, where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. A reading from Acts 2, verses 44 to 47, from the Contemporary English Version. All the Lord's followers often met together, and they shared everything they had. They would sell their property and possessions, and give the money to whoever needed it. Day after day, they met together in the temple. They broke bread together in different homes, and shared their food happily and freely while praising God. Everyone liked them, and each day the Lord added to their group others who were being saved. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join with me in a prayer. Gracious God, cleanse my heart, my lips, and my mind as you cleanse the lips of your prophet Isaiah with the burning coal, that I may preach your word and not my own, and that your people will hear from the Holy Spirit what it is they are to hear from you in spite of my failings. Amen. Merriam-Webster defines community as a unified body of individuals such as the people with common interests living in a particular area, a group of people with a common characteristic or interest living together within a larger society. That's a pretty good definition. A group of people living together within a larger society. It meets our common experiences. It's what the people at Mesa Verde had. Different communities living within a larger society. But have you ever noticed that we each belong to different, sometimes overlapping, communities? Some of us are parents with children in school, and we belong to the PTA. Some of us live in retired communities or in a community of retired people. Some of us are in the military. Some of us are county or state or federal employees Most of us have work communities that we live in and work in. Some of us belong to social communities like the United Methodist Men or the United Methodist Women or the Masons or the Eastern Stars. At the moment, we're together in a Christian community to worship. And we're gathering together today on Peace with Justice Sunday. This is the one Sunday a year set aside by the Methodist Church as a witness to God's demand for a faithful, just, disarmed, and secured world. How are we doing with that? Not so good. We are now, all of us, in a society in which there are communities now in conflict, racial conflict. We see that played out in our cities, in our communities, and for some of us, in our very streets. We see black versus police. We see white and black against power. By the way, am I the only one that when I look at the TV coverage 
I've seen, and I've seen a lot, that when I look and see the federal political power people and the local political power, those who claim to be in charge, and the troops and the police, with rare exceptions, they all seem to be white men. Is that just me? Now here's a question. Which of your communities is most important to you? Which community has your heart? And a second question, do you really know that community? Now be careful how you answer these questions. If you said that the community is for you the Christian community, you must understand that that means you're part of a community that acts together as disciples. And that means something special and difficult and dangerous. What's a disciple? Reverend David Swanson, a white pastor of a mixed-race church congregation in Southside Chicago, has a good working definition. He defines a disciple as one made as they follow Jesus into the kingdom of God to become like Jesus through habit-shaping practices that orient their desires in order to do what Jesus does. And we need to unpack that. The first, following Jesus into the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Let me suggest that it means belonging with and to others in a place where they are in pain with the purpose of being humbly present with them and their pain. This is the lesson of the cross. You're not there to give your help. You're not there to instruct them. You're not in their place to do for them because doing any of that is to lay claim that you know better than they do what they need. You and I were not put here to make other people into our image. We were put here to learn how to change and to be more like God's image, like Jesus' image and likeness. As Lilla Watson, the Australian Aboriginal civil rights worker, says it, if you have come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Following Jesus into the kingdom of God is part of our liberation. Indeed, it's more than that. It's the greatest part of our liberation. Yes, to come to Jesus is to be personally saved, but also it means committing oneself to working for and in the kingdom. Following Jesus into the kingdom of God means being a kingdom worker. And that means putting yourself in the place with the other, with the stranger, with the unknown. And embracing them and where they are. And to be willing to be changed by that embrace. To do that, you have to make room for them in your space. Miroslav Volf describes exactly what this means in today's society. The practice of embrace Wolf says, with its concomitant struggle against deception, injustice, and violence, is intelligible only against the backdrop of a powerful, contagious, and destructive evil called exclusion, and is for Christians possible only if, in the name of God's crucified Messiah, 
we distance ourselves from ourselves and or cultures in order to create a space for the other. Becoming like Jesus by habit-shaping practice. That second part of being a disciple. What does that mean? It means that to be with someone in pain, to make room for them, to set yourself aside, you need to be able to listen to them and to see them. To really listen, to really see. And to do that, you need to develop the habit of having eyes that see and ears that hear. Now note, Jesus didn't talk about mouths that speak. Eyes that see Ears that hear. Blessed are they with eyes that see and with ears that hear. Now, this is not an easy habit to get. It means distancing ourselves from ourselves. It means distancing ourselves from many of the things that, that have been ingrained in us by our very actions, by our very lives. It's especially hard for those of us who, by virtue of the communities we've lived in and the cultures we've been a part of, that we've been habituated to be blind and deaf. We, all of us, as members of communities, have developed habits of being blind and being deaf. Two young fish were swimming together one day when an older fish swam past them, and as he went by, the older fish said, the water's good today. Two young fish kept swimming, and one of the young fish turned to the other young fish and said, what's water? We are often like those two young fish, so immersed in our culture, in our community, in our society, that we really don't see it or hear it or even know what to look or listen for. But you know what? As one of our African-American commentators, A.M. Joy, put it, ignorance is willful. Let me give you some examples from my own life of being blinded and deafened by my culture, by my community. I grew up here in Arlington, and in the 60s and 70s, there was a cinder block wall in North Arlington here, running from North Harrison Street, right behind uh, Arlington Hospital, what you newer folks or younger folks would call the Virginia Hospital Center. Running behind Arlington Hospital East between 16th and 17th Streets through the backyard. That wall divided the Halls Hill neighborhood from the white neighborhood to the south the one where I grew up. Halls Hill was one of the two places, the only two places in Arlington where African Americans could live. Have have you ever noticed the anomaly on Lee Highway of two fire stations that are within a half a mile of each other? Only place that happens in the county. There isn't particularly a lot of development there to require that. Station number three is Cherrydale. And just less than a half mile west, station number eight. Ever wonder why that is? 
Station 8 was built to serve the Halls Hill community. Staffed by the only black firemen in Arlington, it was built to respond to the fires in the black community. Station 8 was forbidden from responding to any fire in a white community. Growing up, I took this as normal. I imagine that many still do when they look at those two fire stations and don't even consider their history. By the way, let me be clear. Both now serve the entire area. Those days of segregation of first response responders is, thank God, long over. But we need to know that history. That was the way, that was the way things were. Growing up in the water of a racist culture forms habits and assumptions and a way of looking, or more precisely, not looking at the world. Ignorance can become habitually willful. Let me give you a more recent example. I attended Wesley Seminary, and one of the requirements to graduate was to go on a cultural immersion. Uh, that would be a three-week um, extended course outside of the community. Um, Wesley designed these courses all over the world. Classmates of mine took their three weeks in India, South America, Europe, um, and all over the country. Well, being the sort of person I am, I kept putting that off and putting it off until I got to the point, winter of my last semester, um, where I had to do it. And by then, I only had three choices. The first choice and this is now, would be the last week of December through the first two weeks of January. My first choice um, that I could look at, first option, was to be on the Sioux Reservation in South Dakota. That would have been interesting, but South Dakota in December and January? Mm -mm. The second option was to be in a ministry in a New Jersey truck stop. Uh, that could be interesting too, but I had to admit the idea of eating truck stop cooking for three weeks wasn't a good one. My third option was to go with my classmates down south to South Carolina and Georgia and to live and be and worship with the people of the Gullah. The Gullah community, for those of you that don't know, are um, the African Americans who live along the coast uh, who are direct descendants of the enslaved people brought over to grow rice. Their communities at one time went from Virginia all the way down to Florida. They have their culture, their food, which is excellent, and their language. So I took the Gullah. And on that uh, uh, trip with me, there were 15 other classmates. There were eight of my classmates who were African-American, most of them from the Washington, D.C. and Baltimore uh, inner city areas. Seven of us were Anglo, white, and one was um, Anglo-Hispanic. Sixteen of us went with two faculty members and their wives, both faculty members African-American. In driving down, um, I drove with two of my classmates, both African-American. And my education began in the Wesley parking lot when we set out together. We drove south, and I had to stop for gas. This would have been North Carolina. 
So, and I was driving. I pulled into the gas station, got out, stretched my legs. I went in, asked my friends, my classmates, can I get anything for you? Because they weren't moving. They said, no, we're fine. When I came back and paid for the gas, got back in the car, and I could just tell the tension was there. So I asked Andre, what am I missing? He said, you didn't see that truck parked next to us? No, I hadn't. Um, while I was there, a truck pulled up. Um, two white guys, I guess, or three, I don't know. They did nothing, but they'd pulled up. And I looked around, and the people that I saw around us were all white. And that's when I found out that my two classmates were afraid to get out of the car. Driving back from our trip, um, I'm bringing my classmates back. We, we left from Atlanta, Georgia, where the uh, three weeks ended, uh, after just incredible experiences, uh, wonderful experiences. On the way back, uh, as is my want, I was driving a little too fast, and just as I crossed the Virginia line from North Carolina, saw the blue lights, got pulled over, and again, the tension. I've been pulled over before. Uh, <laughs> it's not a big deal. The police officer, uh, happened to be a captain of police down in that community, uh, came over, was obviously very angry, but didn't do anything untoward. Wrote out the ticket, went on her way. And after that police officer left, both of my classmates let out this incredible Nadia Boltz-Weber, a minister in a mixed uh, community, uh, I think she's now in Colorado, but um, uh, recently posted um, similar stories about being with um, uh, African-American people uh, in situations with police in her neighborhood where she looked on the police as, oh, I'm glad you're here, and they obviously didn't. And she also was with her uh, congregants in a service, a recent service, where she heard testimony after testimony on the fear that an African-American has, that the talk they have with their children to keep safe when interacting with police officers. As Nadia Boltz-Weber puts it, I simply did not know what I did not know until I knew it. None of us do. I didn't. I'll give you one more of the stories that happened in the Gullah. Uh, about uh, personal safety. It was Sunday night. We were in uh, the outer islands of Georgia and um, couldn't find... You know, the only place to eat was a store like a 7-Eleven across the street from the motel where we were all staying. I just didn't want to do that. So I asked the hotel manager, uh, was there any restaurant, was there any place open nearby? And he said, yes. About five miles down the road, there was uh, a restaurant, a good one, um, they'd be open for Sunday's, Sunday um, servicing. Great. So I let the word out that I was going to drive down to this restaurant. Anybody wanted to come with me. And seven of my classmates uh, all said yes. And it just so happened that all seven were the African-Americans. Uh, the, the, the one other um, uh, student um, was uh, having some back trouble, and so he, he couldn't make it. 
And uh, that would mean I would drive down, come back, pick up another, and we'd go, and we'd do it. So I'm driving down through the quiet Georgia countryside, going over bridges and the islands. And one of the folks with me, one of my uh, fellow students sitting next to me, she turned to me and she said, John, how did you find out about this restaurant? I said, oh, I asked the motel manager uh, if there was any good place to eat. And she looked at me dead level and said, you asked the white male hotel manager here in Georgia where there was a good place for you, a white male, to eat. And you think we're going to be welcome there? I suddenly realized that their safety was in my hands. We got to the restaurant. It ended well. We were more than welcome. It was a mixed group every way you'd want to, and we had a good meal. But in that searing moment, I realized what my privileged station was. I was not afraid. They were. They would have asked the question I didn't ask. Just because I believe and experience my community as a safe one for me does not mean it's safe for my brother or sister of color. Like it or not, in today's world, just like that of the first Christians, we need to decide which community we're going to be a part of. And to do that, we need to learn how to see with eyes and to hear with our ears. Now, by now you should have realized that I'm talking mostly to my white brothers and sisters. My black and Hispanic and Native American and Asian brothers and sisters and anyone else of color has experienced a different world than I have. And they know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me give you another example. How many of you have looked at, uh, recalled Da Vinci's painting of The Last Supper? You, you may even have a copy of it in your home. And, and some of you may have that wonderful picture of Jesus knocking at the door, um, the door of your heart, knocking at the door that doesn't have the door handles, so he can only come in if you open the door and invite him. Can you recall those pictures? Can you recall what Jesus looked like? As a matter of fact, can you recall any picture that you've seen of Jesus? Do you notice something? Have you ever noticed that in our culture, when we see pictures of Jesus, we are looking at a long-haired white man, usually with calm blue eyes? What happens to the little girl or boy of any color who's raised with this picture of their Savior? What happens in the psyche of a child who's taught to pray to the image of a tall white man? By the way, I don't know what Jesus looked like, but I'm fairly certain that he did not look like a long-haired, blonde or um, brown-haired white guy. If you want to see what Jesus probably looked like, take a look at a picture of any Palestinian man. It doesn't matter whether you're looking at a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim. Just look, and you will see a brown-skinned man between 5'5 and 5'9 with short black hair and a short black beard. This is a lot closer to what Jesus looked like than the saccharine portrait that greets many of us at the entrance of our churches. Unless we white people are willing to open our eyes and see that different world, 
And many today in the streets of our cities are doing just that now, in joining with their brothers and sisters of color. We will not be able to be disciples. We will not be able to be agents for change into God's kingdom. We will not have peace with justice. Instead, we'll have a Roman peace, the Pax Romana that's built on law and order and imposed by violence. Now, let me be very clear. When I use the words police state violence, I do that intentionally. I've worked in law enforcement. I'm the third generation in my family to do that. And I've been in street demonstrations and riots. And I've been with those street demonstrations and riots as a student and with the police. And I've seen both sides and I've had friends injured on both sides. I know the difference between law enforcement and police state tactics. Law enforcement is a commitment to serve and to protect all citizens. Police state tactics serve and protect only those in power. We serve a God who gave himself up to a police state power in order to save us. We serve a God who gave up power in order to save us and show us into God's peace with justice in the teeth of an empire. I'm sure that by now you've seen the pictures of our political leaders standing in front of a church awkwardly holding a Bible. This act has drawn a good deal of criticism and criticism mostly justly deserved. A sure way to know that someone is not proclaiming God's kingdom is to see them using God to enhance their own power instead of God's power. But I noticed something else in that man's actions. I saw a man who was afraid, who was terrified. A man who's caught up in something beyond his comprehension and control. A man desperate and reaching out. This man is in desperate need and reaching out for prayer. To bring peace with justice into our communities, we need to work into and through God's kingdom. A kingdom of prayer and, yes, a kingdom of discipleship. How, you might ask, are we to do this in the middle of a pandemic? Now, many are doing this at the risk of their very lives today, marching in large groups, exposing themselves to infection. That is commendable, but also dangerous. And it's not for everyone, nor should it be. Let me suggest, though, two things that we can do, all of us can do right now. All of us can pray. We can pray for the safety of our police and military. We can pray that our leaders become more concerned with peace, with justice, than with power. We can pray for the strength to be disciples of Jesus Christ and to be shown how to be those disciples in our communities. And all of us can work to open our eyes and our ears. We can start by recognizing that we've been blinded and deafened by a society that is racist. There's no other word for it. To do, to do that, we who are white need to look deeply and to listen deeply. And that won't be easy. But it's not supposed to be easy. God's kingdom did not begin with easy acts. It began with a crucifixion. It began with death freely given up in the teeth of an empire. That kingdom beginning continues today through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Through that work, we need to keep in mind what we as disciples of Jesus Christ, armed with the Holy Spirit, are working towards. Psalm 67 describes that kingdom. May God be merciful and bless us. May His face smile with favor on us. May Your ways be known throughout the whole world. Your saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise You, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise You. Let the whole world ring for joy because You govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. May the nations praise You, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise You. Then the earth will yield its harvest and God, our God, will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us. And people all over the world will worship Him. Let me close with a prayer. It's a prayer taken from the daily devotions of the Benedictine community. God of strength, you light the flame of hope in the heart of your church. Free your children from fear. Strengthen them when evil threatens. Make them more humble and more confident on this new day, which is your love you have prepared in Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word spoken and preached today and the word we're hearing every day is a call to action. We've been called to act. And in these weeks, in the coming weeks, we can act. First, pray. Pray for our leaders and pray for our brothers and sisters who live in fear. Pray for them both. Pray for the peace with justice that we are to be working for. Those who can, give. Give money to the fight for racial awareness. There are many different groups out there that you can contribute to. Third, become more aware of your world. Become more present to see and to hear. Look for where you might have been blinded in your growing up and in your community. Look and see. Hear and understand. That is hard work. Be present. That is very hard work. Pray. Give. Wake up. Now let us join our voices together in our choral call to prayer. Take